The scripture is the 19th chapter of Exodus. We'll begin there in the first five verses. Now, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites had left Egypt, on that very day, they entered the desert of Sinai. They had set out from Rephidim and came into the desert of Sinai. They camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to see God. And the Lord spoke to Moses from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And this is what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession Although all the earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, while that is going on, on the mountain, back at the ranch, down below at the foot of the mountain, this is what's happening according to Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all of them took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took what they handed to him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As Donna mentioned, a number of the lay people from our church and the pastors had the opportunity to go to the Methodist annual meeting um, last week. And on last Saturday, I was very privileged that the bishop um, sent us back. Uh, to partner with you uh, in the advancing of God's kingdom for the coming year. And this will be Donna's 29th year here. And this will begin my 15th year and Dinah's 13th year. And Scott out at Riverside, it'll be his 12th year with us. And uh, counting his intern year, Michael at New Heights uh, will be in his sixth year. And though um, uh, Harold Burkhardt is not appointed by the bishop, he comes back another year with us. And and it is uh, it says something, uh, I hope not just about God, but about you and, and what a privilege it is to work with you and, and moving God's kingdom forward. But also one of the things that happens when people are together this long is they get to know each other pretty well. And so my colleagues know that I have a tendency to whine. And my latest whine is about weddings. Now, I'm not against weddings. You know, I'm in favor of them. I've been whining about destination weddings. You know, destination wedding is where they don't get married in the, in the town where maybe one of them lives or they both live. They don't get married here in the sanctuary or in the garden chapel, but they go to a destination. And I'm not against destination weddings. Actually, my issue is I never get to go there. Uh, in the last year, my colleagues on the staff have done weddings in Cabo San Lucas, they have done weddings in the Bahamas, Captiva Island off of Florida, the mountains of Colorado, and my nephew's getting married next month, so I'm going to get to go just south of Waco. 
Actually, I think destination I- weddings are a pretty interesting idea. I think what they do is they, they sort of help you pare down the guest list. And, and just by definition, it becomes a more intimate occasion when you narrow it down and just a few people go. And, and I guess it has the added advantage of getting a jump start uh, at the honeymoon. And, and I think honeymoons are a wonderful idea, a, a chance for the bride and groom to be taken out of the distractions of their daily life and to begin to uh, focus uh, more of their attention uh, on each other. And in fact, that's really sort of a biblical concept. In Deuteronomy 24:15, it says that when a man marries for a whole year, he's not to go off to war or have any other duty placed on him, but he is to spend the year at home and make his wife happy. It's there in the Bible. Now, I didn't have time to read the paper this morning, but last week I sort of looked at it where, where honeymoons uh, were going. In the five weddings or six weddings I saw, two of them were honeymooning in the Bahamas. Uh, two in Jamaica, uh, one in another Caribbean island, and one in Maui. Now, I say all of this because there's an awful lot of experts who believe that what's going on in the book of Exodus is a destination wedding. It is God taking God's bride out of Egypt on a 40-day journey because they didn't have a plane or a boat or a train to get there faster, on a 40-day journey out into the desert to get married. Now, when I say desert, I don't mean Palm Springs or or Scottsdale. This is the Sinai. But out in the desert, they will get married. Unless you think this is a bizarre theory, let me point out to you that there's a whole lot of marriage language in the Bible. Paul talks about us as the bride of Christ. Jesus tells a lot of parables about wedding banquets. When Jesus is at the Last Supper, Jesus says, This, that this cup represents the covenant. It is my blood poured out for you. And that's not a quote from the scriptures. That's a quote from the marriage or engagement ceremony of the day. That's what the groom would say to the bride when they became engaged. And then he would finish that up at the close of the engagement service with these words, which we hear in John 14. He would say, in my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that when it's prepared, I will come again and bring you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The groom would say that, and he would go back, and he would add a room for the bride onto his father's house, and then go get her. A lot of language in the New Testament has this um, this imagery of um, a love, a marital relationship. And there's certainly language in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, when God says in the scripture this morning that I brought you to myself, that's a phrase that the, that the, bride talk, uh, the groom talks about getting the bride. When it's time to go home, when it's time to come to the house, it's I'm bringing you to myself. In Deuteronomy 10, uh, verses 12 through 15, God is very clear in love language about what God has done. For the people of Israel, Jeremiah, Hosea, they all talk about the love relationship, this marriage between God and God's people. It's not just there in language, but a lot of um, people who think in pictures see it in pictures there. And I don't know if you've ever um, been to um, a traditional Jewish wedding, but some of the pictures that are there are here in Exodus 19. Uh, If you've been to one, you may notice that the bride and groom stand under a canopy called a hoopah. Uh, for uh, the service, and uh, the canopy there is the cloud that's over the mountain, over Mount Sinai, say those who think in pictures. Um, There's also 
and the Jewish wedding uh, an exchange, a contract. Uh, the contract's called the ketubah. And here the exchange there on that mountain is the Ten Commandments. And then, as in our services as well, rings, like Scott talked about with the children, are exchanged. And what they see in the gold earrings that they wear in Israel that God purchased for them by taking them from the Egyptians in Egypt, say they see them as wedding rings. So what you have in Exodus 19 is the marriage of God to God's people. A wonderful event. But on the honeymoon, something goes seriously wrong. While Moses is with God, the people have an affair. They take off their wedding rings and they dump them into a fire. Have you ever known anyone who on their honeymoon pawned their wedding ring? That's what they did. God got jilted. Now, that doesn't happen in real life, does it? That people get jilted on their honeymoon? Well, there, you probably remember that movie, Along Came Polly. Remember Ben Stiller's character? And on the honeymoon, his wife falls for the scuba diver. Wouldn't happen to the God of the universe, would it? But it did. And who did the people fall for? Fred's going to show you a couple pictures on the screen now that, uh, of this, uh, the suitor that the people fell for. You can't see this quite as well, but you can see there's a figure there uh, holding uh, the spear. Now let's go for a, a better look. When, when this figure's not standing up, when they're on all four legs, this is the one they dumped God for. This is the calf, the cow god whose name is Hathor. Now Hathor is uh, an attractive uh, god or goddess, actually, in many ways. Uh, the corresponding Roman god to Hathor is Aphrodite. And so it could be because of the wisdom and, and the uh, power of Hathor that that's who they worship. Other scholars say if you look at the uh, ten plagues, what God has done is God has taken on uh, ten of the great Egyptian gods and wiped them out in order of power getting to Pharaoh himself who claimed to be a god. And so some scholars say, well, the only god left that was any good that God didn't wipe out in a plague was a cow. So the people dumped the god of the universe. For this cow. Jilted on the honeymoon. What does God do? What is God's response? Well, it won't surprise you probably because you might feel the same way. God's a bit upset about what has taken place. But as Psalm 30 tells us, God's anger is only for a moment. But God's favor is for a lifetime. And so though the people have strayed, though they've had an affair, God spends the rest of the scriptures going after the bride to try to bring her back. Hosea and Jeremiah contain a lot of language about God trying to win back God's spouse. This is the first lesson of the desert. As I told you last week, we'll be in the desert all summer, and as Donna pointed out, God's given us weather to kind of warm us up and get us ready for that. The first lesson of the desert is this. God loves us unconditionally. No matter how badly we mess up, no matter how many times we mess up, God continues to love us and continues to come after us. It's not a love story, but it was a famous story. I, I suppose it's true. It made its rounds of the business schools a number of years ago. story is about uh, Tom Watson, who led IBM for, what, 40 years. And uh, Watson uh, one time called a junior executive into the office because the executive basically, in, in, a, in a failed um, uh, effort, had lost $10 million of IBM's money. Just blown away. 
So when he got in, called into Watson's office, the junior executive had his resignation ready. He apologized for blowing the $10 million for the mistake that he had made uh, and turned in his resignation. And Watson's response to him apparently was, are you kidding? I'm not going to let you go. I just spent $10 million on your education. He continued to invest. God has made a lot of investment in us. And God continues to invest until finally we're told that Jesus comes. And God gives God's Son, God's one and only Son, on our behalf to win us back. God continues to invest. As Paul told the Romans, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We were still having the affair. But God kept coming after us. The first lesson of the desert is no matter how badly you mess up, you cannot stop God from loving you. No matter how many times you stray, you cannot stop God's pursuit of you. Now, what will you do about that? I suppose there's a range of options available to us. One of the options is we could just stay in our affair. You know, some people, once they make a mistake, they just figure they're doomed. They might as well just keep walking in the mistake. Some people do that. Some will come back to God, but they have such a heavy sense of guilt about what, is, what they've done or what they didn't do that they really are not free in that relationship. And their marriage with God is in name only because of their guilt. But there will be others who understand the depth of God's love for them. They will understand that God is much more interested in who we may yet become rather than who we have been. And those people will become free to enjoy this love relationship all over again. I've heard it said that the most important question in our life is not how much do we love God. But the important question we need to answer is how much does God love us? And when we get the right answer to that, which God loves us as much in our affair as God did before the wedding, that God loves us as much in our mistakes as God ever loved us, when we understand that answer, then we begin to be free to live life with God again. There's nothing that you have said. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you have thought that can separate God from you. If you do not wish to be separated, God's pursuit of you is that intense. And that's the first lesson of the desert. But the corollary to that lesson is this. If you find yourself in the desert that we talked about last week, you're struggling at work. There's an illness in the family. There's a a relationship that's so important. And yet it seems so difficult. If you are in the desert right now, you need to know this. The scripture teaches you are not in the desert for God to punish you. You are in the desert for God to love you. God took God's bride out of Egypt because in Egypt the bride could not focus on God. Could not have committed to God. There were too many distractions. And God said, come, let's go out into the desert where we can focus on one another and I can love you. If you are struggling right now, Please know it is not because God wants to punish you. It is because God wants to love you. And God wants you to cut through all the stuff that separates you from him and keeps you from realizing how much he loves you. And so he takes you as he did his bride so many centuries ago out where the two of you can be together. If you're in the desert today, 
you're not there to be punished. You are there to be loved.